Welcome to episode 465 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a compelling, somewhat jocular conversation with educator, fiddle player, chicken coop builder, and our resident historian, Surf William. We will discuss politics, of course, what's going on in Europe. We'll look at it from an historical perspective, and we'll have a few surprises to uh, come your way as well. I think you'll enjoy our conversation with Surf William this go-round. We have an EW essay titled The Magic. We share an excerpt from a short story by Franz Kafka titled Investigations of a Dog. And we have an EW poem called The Manicure. All of this, of course, will be infused and imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 465 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Happy spring, by the way.
baby but the wrong yo-yo The Magic She said, how about you? Anything new and exciting? He said, every time the wind blows. So obnoxious. You are not that important, though each of us thinks so. I am here, therefore I am. The stardust, the morning bird song, the city-side glam, suburban strip malls, Tony Soprano, Dizzy Gillespie, Katanji Brown Jackson, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Ruth, Buenos Aires, Paris, Texas, the Colorado River, Golden Pond, Roaring Brook, Mel Brooks, Albert Einstein, Joan Didion, the lady at the bus stop in Columbus, Ohio, who told me I had nice legs back in 1988. The guys dumping the recyclables into their truck. These are my psyche. And you might say, what the... My conscious, though is informed by my subconscious, I suppose. What does my soul have to do with it? In the chocolate lab we call Katie Girl bites on her lamb-flavored bone. As I wonder if the shiny, steady object in the sky above this hillside village is a drone. Perhaps these written pieces have stirred the suspicion of my country's political power. Or maybe it is instead little redhead Fred from down the road, soaring it higher than the county water tower, passing some time as his parents argue about their heavy load, trying to organize, fit in, stay young, not sin, pay the bills, keep the till filled, and try to understand it all from within. The magic, so deep, yet so thin.
Mr. Wendell has freedom, a free that you and I think is dumb. Free to be without the worries of a quick to this society, for Mr. Wendell's a bum. His only worries are sickness and an occasional harassment by the police in their chase. Uncivilized, we call him, but I just saw him eat off the food we waste. Civilization, are we really civilized? Yes or no? Who are we to judge when thousands of innocent men could be brutally enslaved or killed over a racist grudge? Mr. Wendell has tried to warn us about our ways, but we don't hear him talk. Is it his fault when we've gone too far and we got too far? Cause on him we've walked. Mr. Wendell, a man, a human in flesh, but not by law. I bid you dignity to stand with pride. Realize that all in all, you stand tall. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Hola. Surf William, is that you? <laughs> you conundrum, is that you? Ooh, yeah, E.W. Conundrum here from Troubadours and Rock On Tours, your ambassador of all that is irrational and filled with tumult. Okay, well, from the sublime to the ridiculous. For those of you who haven't had the distinct pleasure of hearing Surf William on Troubadours and Rock On Tours before, let me tell you a little bit, a little bit about him. He's a fiddle player, an educator, an axe aficionado, among other things, and most importantly, our resident historian. So, um, Surf, how's, how's uh, things in Bucks County, PA? Uh, oh, everything is just just peachy here at home we're all doing everyone's doing well knock on wood everyone's healthy and happy so we're doing well how are things in northeastern pa uh nice yeah you know um enjoying early spring and uh, looking forward to uh, uh a nice a nice april and and so on so yeah we're, we're doing fine too nice we're fortunate we're, we're not in the ukraine you know uh, I f- oh, yeah, which people can say throughout history. <laughs> really? There have been many times when people have said, thank God we're not in Ukraine. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, just talking about the history of Ukraine and uh, vis-a-vis Russia, <laughs> it, it hasn't been pleasant. Well, you know, that uh, that is uh, something interesting to me. I, I keep 
hearing the rationale from that horrible man, Putin, who says the Ukraine is, is Russia in many ways. Uh, what, what does he mean by that? Why does he say that? Is there any justification? Well, they're, they're, certainly, they're certainly related. They're, they're certainly cousins, you know, at the most distant, and, and maybe even siblings at the closest. They have, uh, they have a lot of shared cultural ties, shared linguistic ties. Um, if you look at the history of Ukraine... There's at least, you know, uh, we could go really, you could go back to like the 9th and 10th century when, when Kiev was actually a center of, of the uh, Orthodox Christian religion. And um, uh, Moscow was nothing more than a forest. So, you know, if you want to talk about historical context, Ukraine was... Uh, uh, a highly evolved uh, uh, culture and civilization uh, before there was even a Moscow. So, you know, this idea that, you know, Russia sort of adopted Ukraine is a little, it's a little bit backwards. Again, I'm not, I'm not like an Eastern European expert, but that much I know. If you look at the, and I mean, uh, common sense and history would show you, if you look at, for example, the trade routes in the, in the, let's say like the early middle ages, let's say 900 to like 1200 the vikings were the scandinavian peoples were as we know traveling all over the place in all directions from scandinavia carrying on trade and some conquest but mostly they were trading and and what they were doing was following the major the major waterways from the baltic sea uh and the north sea you know south and south and west and if you follow those waterways south one of the rivers you travel on is the Dnieper river which runs right through kiev so you can see why kiev would have been a major trade center because if you're traveling from north to south you're going to you're going to travel down the Dnieper river through kiev not through moscow you're going to go through kiev and that's going to take you into the black sea which then could take you right to constantinople really easy mm -hmm. Um, so you get, you can start to understand why that area that we call Ukraine, why that was a, 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 a well-populated area, a highly visited area. And then in addition to that, it's got really ridiculously fertile soil. So their ability to produce food has always historically been famous throughout Europe. It was the breadbasket of Europe. Um, so for all those reasons, you know, Ukraine had its own thing going on. For centuries, um, it wasn't until the Bolshevik Revolution that Ukraine was then sort of incorporated into what then became the Soviet Union, and it was the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. And I don't think that it was done with the majority of the population being in favor of that. So, you know, this notion that Ukraine is just sort of a little brother to Russia Geographically, sure, it's smaller. But historically, I, I don't think that's accurate. I think the Ukrainians have their own culture, their own language, their own history. And it's a little bit of a, um, uh, it's a little bit misguided and a little bit disingenuous to say the things that Putin's been saying about Ukraine, such as they belong to Russia or they're just Russians. That's not really true. Yeah, I didn't think so. And I, I appreciate the clarification and, and the history that you've just shared. Uh, you know, 
when you when you you bring up the things that uh, Putin says uh, to his people in in Russia, do you think, based on your understanding, um, given your your you know studies of of uh, Russia, do you think the Russian people, you know, a majority of them, are are buying into what Putin says, uh, or do you think they're just afraid to? to contradict what he says. Well, let me just start by saying this. This this would be a good opportunity for you because I know you have a lot of different guests on your show. So, you know, what a great opportunity for you to find some future guests who could talk in more depth and detail about, you know, cultural life in Russia and political leanings and so forth. No, I mean, I would say what I would say in any culture. There is that segment of the population that supports the leader no matter what. And in Russian culture, you have a tradition of strong men, um, you know, like like sort of oppressive father figures running the country. And you can just go back throughout history, going back to the czars. You know, in Russia, they have a tradition of strong individual leaders, you know, mandating and dictating policy. You know, they have no tradition of democracy that basically didn't exist. So to sort of answer your question in a roundabout way, just like in America, there is a segment of the population that are true believers he is the leader he's keeping them safe if he says it's the right thing to do it's the right thing to do however russia also has a long tradition of political dissidents and people who disagree with leadership and so i think what you're seeing in russia now is a high degree of resistance to this absolutely illegal and unnecessary war and you know putin's responding in a way that all dictators respond he's squelching the media He's suppressing uh, uh, dissent at home. He's locking up peaceful protesters, which, by the way, peaceful protest is guaranteed in the Russian Constitution. You're allowed to protest peacefully. But that's been basically that right's been basically taken away. So, you know, I think there's a a huge number of Russians that are absolutely vehemently opposed to this war. Um, I don't know the specific numbers, but I would say in any country that goes to war, especially a war like this, yeah, you're going to have a big part of the population that says, but why are we doing this? Even if that's just the question, why are we doing this? You're not even allowed to ask those questions. In Russia right now, as far as I understand, you're not allowed to call it a war. No, what is it called? The special operation or something? special operation. And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of Vietnam or Iraq. You know, you could get me off on a whole tangent now about United States foreign policy. And how we've undermined our own credibility and how we have no moral moral footing here based on our foreign policy over the last 75 years. Uh, what are you, a traitor? No, I'm not a traitor. As a matter of fact, I'm the opposite of a traitor. I'm a person who so loves his country that he wants to see the policy aligned with the values so that when a leader like Putin does something so egregious and horrible um, and atrocious we have the moral authority to stand up and say you can't do this we have the moral authority to say you are a war criminal how can an american leader possibly call the leader of another country a war criminal when everyone saw what we did in iraq for example in in, in just that's just our recent history um you know we were bombing civilians we we bombed iraq we bombed baghdad we bombed civilians we knew we would be killing civilians. And when you talk about a war of choice, a sort of unnecessary war that somebody in a leadership position said, uh, let's let's do this. Let's let's give it a shot. Not a war of defense, not a war of survival, not a war, not an existential war, but rather a war simply of choice because you have so much weaponry 
that you just got to use it somewhere. Hey, look at Iraq. They've got nice targets. Let's bomb them. Um, we just don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, you know, you, you bring up great points. We And we're, we're not honest uh, or even aware of our history in this country all too often. And that's the sad. general population yeah because because it is sad now we're in a position where we actually could be the voice of decency and morality we could actually present some moral authority to the world but we really can't can we without being thoroughly hypocritical and that well well we have to though we have to because i i mean you could you could also argue every administration's a new one right i mean that doesn't mean the history before that administration i'm talking executive branch doesn't matter and you're not and we we don't have to uh, make amends or, or take responsibility though you know this group maybe they have a better sense of moral authority maybe they've learned from what has occurred before them their predecessors and they're going to try to do right oh no doubt if you're talking about the morality of biden compared to uh george w bush or dick cheney yeah, I think you could make a decent argument there. My point is simply this. United States foreign policy is United States foreign policy. And we have a, we have a, a, a to put it lightly, we have a sketchy history when it comes to wars of choice and when it comes to wars that really border on human rights violations and, and war crimes. Yeah, I, I will not argue with you there. I, I agree with you. When you just think about the beginnings of this country and how we, you know, what we did to establish this country, atrocities, uh, one after another, well, you can, right. you can and, pinpoint, you can recognize, you should recognize. No doubt. And like if somebody wanted to make the argument, hey, look, that was 200 years ago or that was 175 years ago, I would even concede that. I would even say, yes, those were different people in a different time with different objectives. And as horrible as it was, we're not, you know, let's not um, uh, let that burden our decision making now, Right. But right. sadly, it's not ancient history, is it? It's recent no. history. You and I are old enough to remember protesting the Iraq war. Um, you know, we knew it was wrong. And here's the thing. I wasn't just protesting the Iraq war because it, it was wrong in every possible way. I was able, and this is just some, you know, scraggly punk kid. I was able to project into the future and say, if we continue on this path, we are. We will make ourselves completely, deleg- you know, illegitimate. We will undermine our moral authority in the world. And when the world needs a strong voice for morality and what is right, we won't be able to stand up and do that. And going all the way back to Vietnam, you know, we've consistently undermined our international credibility with our foreign policy decisions, including overthrowing democratically elected leaders in multiple countries. And that hurts me not just because of the action of overthrowing a democratically elected leader, but it hurts me and it hurts the country because in the future, we don't have the moral voice to, to, to speak okay. up. Just remind people or point uh, for people to those uh, incidents, those examples of when we... Uh, you know, displaced, uh, democratically elected uh, leaders and, and uh, the other, uh, you know, I guess, untoward actions that you just referenced? Well, forgive me if I don't have the names of all of the leaders we overthrew. But, you know, the things that jump out at me are Pinochet uh, in Chile. Um, he, we didn't overthrow him. We installed him. And um, he was brutal. And he was brutal. Uh, the Batista regime in Cuba. 
was a was a was a a, a brutal dictator we propped up until Castro overthrew him. Uh, the Iranian uh, Iranian leader uh, who was democratically elected and replaced with the Shah of Iran by the United States government and the British Secret Service. Um, let's see, Honduras with uh, Nash, I think it's National Fruit was the corporate interest that that persuaded the CIA to go in there and overthrow a democratically elected leader. Um, Nicaragua, we propped up dictators. So again, I, I could I could go on and on. You know, there are examples all around the world of the United States government either supporting brutal dictators or actively overthrowing democratically elected leaders to install a dictator who was friendly to our foreign policy. So right. You don't have to be, look, you don't have to be an expert in international affairs to just Google it and go read about all of the times the United States government has in fact not been on the side of peace and democracy and representation, you know, equal representation, but rather has been on the side of the brutal dictators and, and, and not just sort of passively, but very actively by making sure they stayed in power, by propping them up with military aid and economic aid. And again, but isn't this just isn't this just acting on our God-given right at manifest destiny? Okay, fine. Well, then, if you say that, then you're legit. Then you are giving credence to what Putin is saying, because if you say if you say might makes right, then who are we to condemn big Russia for attacking little Ukraine? Because we've already established the fact that might makes right. Forget about what's morally right or ethically right or in the eyes of international law. What we're going to do is we're going to say if you're the big strong power, just by the sheer fact that you're stronger, you get to do what you want. Because that's Putin's argument right now. And well, but 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 Russia, you know, they have to bow down to the United States. So if we don't like what they're doing, they have to listen to us because we are the ultimate. We are the center of all that exists. Even if that were true, even if that were true, they're not listening. You know, Putin doesn't have to listen to us. Right. And he's not. Well, we have to we have to get him in line because we're in charge. We are the right? now, we be, are the right. Wouldn't it be great if we had the moral authority to say that? But we don't. Now, don't get me wrong. We should still protest and we should still oppose this war. and We should still do everything we can to stop it. All I'm saying is that when you have the history of the United States, you are in you are on shaky ground when you claim moral authority. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, uh, our foreign policy has hurt us in in many, many ways, um, which still have consequences even now when you see the actions of Russia and and our inability really to stand up and say, I mean, we're standing up and saying it's wrong, but our inability to really have any true credibility when it comes to the moral high ground. What would you say to those who would put out in response to what you're you're uh, sharing that all we're doing is protecting our interests? You know, we're protecting uh, our our border security. We're protecting the uh, uh, materials, the um, resources that that we need to sustain our quality of life here in the United States. And when we when we go to these other countries and and uh, do what we do, install certain leaders or, or what have you? I would argue that ultimately what you claim to be uh, beneficial to the United States in the long run really hurts us. Because if we really don't stand for democracy and we're installing dictators around the world, that's going to have repercussions for us 
in, you know, in the present and in the future. And I would say ultimately it's going to actually undermine our quality of life. And yeah, we might get the natural resources from that country that's ruled by a dictator. But what we're doing is we're breeding, we're sowing the seeds of further unrest and uprising and revolution and anti-American sentiment. And, you know, those if you do if you do the calculus, that ill will has a cost, too. So that ill will and that aggression that people show towards America and that resistance to America, that has a cost, too. That's a little bit more tricky to calculate. But I don't think anybody could argue that it has an adverse effect on our ability to project American values around the world. And when I say American values, I mean traditional, you know, as enshrined in the Constitution, American values. Gotcha. You're not talking about, you know... um what Tucker Carlson would call an American value or Hannity or, or, uh, you know, well, Strom Thurmond. I don't know why that might, (laughs) you're just showing your age now. Um, (laughs) no, that, 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 listen, there are a lot of terms that are very elastic and malleable, like, 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 like Christianity, right? That could mean a million different things to a million different people. American, the adjective American, that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I get that. What I usually what I usually refer back to and default to is, you know, the values that are enshrined in our founding documents. So you look at the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And again, you know me, I'm sort of like a jack of all trades and a master of none. I'm not I'm not a constitutional scholar. I just know that the values that were enshrined in the Constitution dealt with equality and fairness and justice and fair treatment for people and people's ability to express themselves politically without being oppressed. Those values are American values. And I only say that because they're enshrined right in our founding documents. And if we support dictators and if we if we um, uh, uh, indiscriminately bomb civilians, we're we're undermining our ability. We're not only we're not only acting contrary to our, our our enshrined values. We're undermining our ability in the future to do things that are positive for America and the world. Right. Very pragmatic, Surf William. Very pragmatic, Surf William here, our resident historian on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Also plays the fiddle. He's a high school teacher. And uh, he knows the axes, I'll tell you. I he has a little YouTube thing. Oh, there's a, oh, so much going on. So much going on. It's so it. much going but on. you know what? Let now, me do is you should never be bored. If you're bored, you're boring. That's what I think. Right. I always say the same thing. I wonder if we both came up with that together when we were teens. Well, we, were, out in we the woods. weren't mutually brilliant. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> At least in our, in our minds. <laughs> Mr. Um, Mr. Rounds would be proud of us right now. Maybe. He would. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> He would. Hey, he and I got, our, in some, got in some Facebook uh, tips over the years too. He's a little conservative. He's a little. Yeah. He's a little conservative. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Mr. Rounds, folks, is one of our high school teachers. I was, so the surf and I have known each other since tenth grade, I think. Yeah. Right, tenth grade, ninth grade. Yeah, tenth grade. Yeah. So uh, you know, you're our you're our resident historian. I, I want you to uh, uh, put on your your general's hat right now too. I mean. What what do you, what do you think this is going to end up? What's going on in the Ukraine oh, right now? God, I don't know because Putin still has a lot of cards to play. So I really I really don't I I just I'll be honest with you. Normally, and I've discussed some of this in my classes too in school, and I told my students I apologized right up front, and I said normally when we're talking about foreign policy and international affairs, I have my take on things, 
and I can provide some historical context and I can I can talk to my students about financial interests and and the way government operates and government's objectives and the things it's trying to achieve. And I can usually explain foreign policy decisions pretty well. But I got to say, Putin's got me completely flummoxed right now. I, I don't know what his end game is. I don't know what his ultimate objective is. Um, I don't know what he expected when he invaded Ukraine, what he thought the Ukrainian response would be and what the world's response would be. So, you know, I just... I, I guess I just don't have enough information. I'm completely bewildered by the. I, I thought he was going to threaten military action, get some things he wanted, and then sort of just hold that thing over the West's head like the like the sword of Damocles. But he, I, 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 I it seems so foolhardy what he's doing. I don't have a really good explanation, and I'll be honest with you, from what I've heard so far from from analysts, nobody really seems to have a real a real good idea of what this guy's trying to do exactly, other than expand the traditional Russian empire, which kind of seems a little silly. Whatever Ukraine I, I, has that he wants, he could have purchased a lot cheaper than the right. cost of an invasion. Right, and I, I think I think it has to do with um, his sense of age and legacy. Uh, you know, it's very much uh, an indicator to me that he's he's being incredibly selfish and um, he's being driven by uh, these impulses of, you know, that are that are are, are informed by a sense of grandeur. You know, uh, he he's yeah, he's I think he's dangerous even more so because uh, he he's not being pragmatic. And someone's there in Russia and the oligarchs for their own personal interests and their economic interests. They need. I think they will be compelled to step in at some point. I guess you know? so. Again, I don't think I understand modern Russia like very well because I don't know how much influence the oligarchs have over Putin. Um, maybe his generals are more of a threat. Maybe his gen- generals are the ones that will say, you know, we can't keep doing this. This is untenable and, and something has to change. And if it means our leadership has to change, then, then so be it. I, I, I just I, – here's the thing. I have a good grasp of the history of, of Russia and Ukraine, and it's a, and again, it's an ugly, ugly, ugly history. Um, I just don't know what Putin's thinking right now, and you know, and I don't feel bad about saying that because I hear a lot of political pundits; they're confused too. So, who's your who's your uh, who are some of your your favorite Russian thinkers? Oh, oh, well, here's the thing: I don't I don't have a favorite Russian thinker. Um, but there are a lot of Russian journalists right now doing excellent work uh, in Russia and in Ukraine, and several of them have already been killed uh, in combat. So, you know, again, I wish I could answer your question, but I'm going to skirt that question. And I'm going to answer a question that you didn't even ask. Cool. I'm going to say that um, a free press is the best tool we have against lies and oppression. And the first thing you see dishonest leaders do is is um, undermine the credibility of the free press, um, restrict free speech, and flat out kill journalists who are reporting information that they don't want reported. And I'm exactly. looking at Donald Trump right now, and I'm saying when you hear things like fake news and the and by the way, Lügenpresse is a German term that the Nazis 
uh, originated, and that means the lying press. And, and what Trump was doing was a playbook right out of Goebbels' playbook. You know, they didn't like the news that was being reported, so that was lies. They, or that was fake. Or that was uh, un-American or un-German. So, you know, watch out, because Putin does the same things. Journalists have been killed all over Eastern Europe. Uh, some, I think, at the direct instruction of Putin, because they're reporting on things that Putin doesn't want made public. So, and yeah, I, I oh, skirted exactly. Your, I skirted your question. No, because, no, you didn't. That's good. I no, like where you, you went want, with well, it. Let's talk about Solzhenitsyn, right? Again, that's my favorite. Yeah, I'm not an expert, but again, there was a voice of dissent in Russia. You know, Russia has, putting the gulags. Yeah, they have a long history of great thinkers, great thinkers. Uh, Dostoevsky, Solzhenitsyn, um, Tolstoy. They, they have a great, Russia has a, a history of great Russian thinkers, and oftentimes their thinking goes against policy. And some of them have paid the price for that, like Solzhenitsyn. Yeah, he ended up in Vermont. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah he did. worse than that. No, that's beautiful, actually. <laughs> uh, now, we're just about done this go-around, Sir William. I would, let's end it with your reflections, or maybe even a message, assuming uh, someone who is really affected, that's a, connected to the Ukraine. Um, what, what, what would you say about and to the, the people uh, and the leadership of, of the Ukraine? Uh, what would I say to them? Uh, yeah. And about them. I feel so guilty. I, I feel so guilty because because I can't imagine what it's like to be leading your life and doing your best to get by and then and then have this kind of violence thrust upon you, this kind of unimaginable destruction and violence. You know, my my I, I, I absolutely Ukraine has my support. I've I've already supported the Ukrainian cause and the cause of Ukrainian refugee, refugees financially. Um, I've been bringing this in, issue into my classroom for all of my classes. So we can talk about it and be more aware of it um, and maybe take some action. Um, I have, like I said, I've contributed uh, some money to some charities and I'm learning a lot more about what's going on with Ukrainian refugees being accepted into Germany right now. I think right at this point, we're over 100,000 in Germany. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to raise awareness and I would let anybody in Ukraine know that, uh, you know, we stand with them 100 percent. Our government stands with them and our people stand with them, except a certain portion of our population who love Putin, who happen to also love Trump, um, who are anti Zelensky, who are also pro Trump. So, you know, you're always going to have traitors in your midst and you're always going to have misinformed people who, um, you know, support the dictator. But. The Ukrainians need to know that the vast majority of Americans in the world are on their side. I think that's I think that's clear. Well said. Surf William, our resident historian here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. It's always a pleasure talking with you. Is that it? We're done? Yeah, that's it, man. Uh, you always, know? It's always a little sad. <laughs> we'll be talking again. I just want to say, before we go, one last thing. People, sure. people need to learn, you know, go out and do a little bit of, of research. Um, a fun way to learn history and again, it doesn't make anybody an expert, but a fun way to learn history is to is to go to YouTube and just pop up some videos. The history of Ukraine, the history of Ukraine and Russia. Vet your sources, of course, but you're going to learn a lot about the history of the people who live in the area we call Ukraine and the oppression these people have faced and the terror these people have faced over the last 125 years. And it will give you a lot more. It will inform your ideas about Ukraine a lot more. You'll have a much better understanding of what they have endured uh, over the last 
you know, 100 to 125 years. And that's important, too. Excellent. Thank you for that suggestion. I appreciate it. And I, again, I appreciate talking with you. Uh, take care. Enjoy spring. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. I'll see you soon. I'll get up there for a visit. Beautiful. Okay. Much love. Ciao, Fratello. Ciao.
And now an excerpt from Franz Kafka's Investigations of a Dog. But it began with that concert. I do not blame the concert. It is my innate disposition that has driven me on. And it would certainly have found some other opportunity of coming into action had the concert never taken place. Yet the fact that it happened so soon used to make me feel sorry for myself. It robbed me of a great part of my childhood, the blissful life of the young dog, which many can spin out for years, in my case lasted for only a few short months. So be it. There are more important things than childhood, and perhaps I have the prospect of far more childlike happiness earned by a life of hard work in my old age than any actual child would have the strength to bear, but which then I shall possess. I began my inquiries with the simplest things. There was no lack of material. It is the actual superabundance, unfortunately, that casts me into despair in my darker hours. I began to inquire into the question what the canine race nourished itself upon. Now that is, if you like, by no means a simple question, of course. It has occupied us since the dawn of time. It is the chief object of all our meditation. Countless observations and essays and views on this subject have been published. It has grown into a province of knowledge which in its prodigious compass is not only beyond the comprehension of any single scholar, but of all our scholars collectively. A burden which cannot be borne except by the whole of the dog community, and even then with difficulty, and not quite in its totality, for it ever and again crumbles away like a neglected ancestral inheritance, and must laboriously be rehabilitated anew, not to speak at all of the difficulties and almost unfulfillable conditions of my investigation. No one need point all this out to me. I know it all as well as any average dog. I have no ambition to meddle with real scientific matters. I have all the respect for knowledge that it deserves, but to increase knowledge, I lack the equipment, the diligence, the leisure, and, not least, and particularly during the past few years, the desire as well. I swallow down my food, but the slightest preliminary methodical, politico-economical observation of it does not seem to me worthwhile. In this connection, the essence of all knowledge is enough for me. The simple rule with which the mother weans her young ones from her teats and sends them out into the world. Water the ground as much as you can. And in the sentence, is not almost everything contained? What has scientific inquiry, ever since our first fathers inaugurated it, of decisive importance to add to this? Mere details, mere details, and how uncertain they are. But this rule will remain as long as we are dogs.
know a guy that's got a lot to lose He's a pretty nice fella Kinda confused Got muscles in his head Ain't never been used Thinks he owns half of this town Starts drinking heavy Gets a big red nose Beats his old lady with a rubber hose Then he takes her out to dinner Buys her new clothes That's the way that the world goes down That's the way that the world goes down one day, the next you down, it's a half an inch wider, you think you're gonna drown, that's the way that the world goes round. I was sitting in the bathtub, counting my toes when the radiator broke. Water all froze, I got stuck in the ice without my clothes, naked as the eyes of a clown. I was crying ice cubes, hoping I'd croak when the sun come through the window. The ice all broke, I stood up and laughed, thought it was a joke, that's the way that the world goes man. That's the way that the world goes man. Despite the manicure. Yellow lamp light today in the early phase of spring, and we sing voluptuous in our heart. It is a shared experience, whether you believe it or not. All is teeming with the gravity of this constant earth spin. As the sun rules us in brightness, Hair grows white and curls out of my chin every day and every night. Despite the fog outside dissipating enchanted into the warm, wistful wind. Well, that'll be the day when you say goodbye. Yes, that'll be the day when you make No, you 
you love me, baby Still you tell me maybe that someday Well, I'll be through Well, that'll be the day When you say goodbye Yeah, yes, that'll be the day When you make me cry You say you're gonna leave You know it's a lie Cause that'll be the day When I die Episode 465 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Surf William, Franz Kafka, and these musical artists, Elonious Monk, Carl Perkins, Arrested Development, Zucchero, John Prine, Buddy Holly, Branford Marsalis, and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself and others too.